and welcome to the 7th Clever Hack Podcast. Today is Sunday, July 23rd, 2006. It's 84 degrees outside, mostly cloudy in Westchester, Pennsylvania. It's about 2.54 p.m. here on the East Coast, just for your knowledge. So, anyway, I am glad to be podcasting this week. I apologize for missing last week. I just didn't have the uh, creative juices to create a podcast last Sunday, so I apologize, and I appreciate all of you guys who are reloading my podcast feed. Uh, It's nice to be uh, wanted there. I hope everyone is doing well. We're back to normal here in Westchester, Pennsylvania after last Tuesday's storms. Um, last Tuesday's storms caused outages um, all across the region, uh, and they were sporadic outages, the type where your neighbor down the street might not have power and, and you would. There were also um, sporad- It was also sporadic in, in, the, in terms of the length of the outage. Uh, some people were just out for an hour, maybe two hours. Some people were, you know, were out overnight, and some others were out for 48 hours. So that was not fun at all. The storm last week was kind of interesting as it as it was blowing up. The winds uh, were very, very, um, um, were very, very intense for a very, very short period of time, and the clouds were swirling all around. I actually have pictures of the of the clouds. It was one of those weird, you know, situations where you knew something was just a little bit different. So I have some pictures of the of the, of the uh, clouds, and um, I sh- should probably post them onto my blog. They looked, um, some of them looked pretty interesting. Today on the Clever Hack podcast, I have some sound effect help, and uh, what I mean by sound effect help is that I have a little sound effect helper, and um, if you start hearing some uh, sound effects in the background, it'll be her. We're trying to train the next generation in podcasting, so everybody's got to start um, someplace. So with that, um, let's go ahead and talk about some what's happening on uh, on this Sunday in terms of sports. Um, as you may well know, Floyd Landis won this Tour de France um, earlier today in in France, and um, Floyd Landis is a Pennsylvania boy. He's Mennonite, and he's from actually west of here in Lancaster County. So that's that's kind of neat, kind of a neat um, uh, story uh, about his background and how he actually you know basically left the uh, Mennonite community. Ne- and next, uh, Tiger won the British Open, so you see his. Um, Face all on the sports pages. And last but not least, today is Ironman Lake Placid. And while I plan to be there watching a certain uh, athlete, um, and unfortunately I'm not, um, what I am doing this Sunday afternoon is uh, monitoring this athlete um, via the internet. Um, Ironman.com actually has an athlete tracker, and um, you can go ahead and type in their bib number or their last name and find out their, where they are actually in the race. Now, what an Ironman race is, it's a, it's a type of a triathlon. Um, it's run by um, Ironman USA, and the lengths of this triathlon are as follows. It's 2.4 miles in the swim, one, um, 112 miles for the bike, and 26.2 miles in the, for the final run, and you do this all in one day. In fact, the cutoff for the swim, you have to finish the swim in 2 hours and 20, and 20 minutes. You have to finish the bike in 10 hours and 30 minutes. That's from the start of the race. And then for the marathon, you've got to be done 17 hours later, or if you're not, you're, you're cut off. You, you, you did not finish. Professional um, uh, triathletes actually finish um, uh, one of these uh, triathlons in about uh, under six hours, probably like five, I want to say 5.30, 5.40, while the amateurs, or the, they call them age groupers, finish it a little bit slower. Today's race in Lake Placid is actually, a, there's a men's professional field, which means that there are professional um, 
triathletes also competing in their own in their own field. So um, that which is which is quite interesting. The finalists of the race, it's um, they have the top ten. The top 10 professionals will go, um, will go to Kona. Also, the top 70 age groupers, they call it, because you compete by age um, group and also by gender, will go, to, will go to Kona. And by going to Kona, that means going to the Ironman World um, uh, Championships. So uh, today in Lake Placid, it's kind of rainy. So I, the, it seems like the race, as I'm tracking, it seems to be a little bit slower than usual because you don't want to be it, you don't want to be slipping and sliding around, especially on the bike course, which is um, giving people the most concern. So that's what's going on right now. Um, they finished as of um, this time right now. The most of the contestants have finished the swim. Well, they all finished the swim, and now they're in the, the they're either in the bike loop, and the professionals have actually gone on to the onto the marathon part. So that's interesting. And if you want to learn more about the Ironman triathlon, go ahead and go to ironman.com. And for you techies out there, ironman.com is actually really, it's a neat site. They, it's very, it's professionally designed. It's got, it, um, it adheres to all of, you know, the latest design fads. Um, it's W3C um, um, compatible. It has tags, all that fun stuff. It also has RSS feeds. So pretty cool site. And now, talking about some tech news, first, the Wall Street Journal has um, instituted Technorati tools on their website, and what that means is that they're using Technorati to count inbound links and blog posts to, their, to the Wall Street Journal articles. It's much like how Washington Post does it. Also, the Wall Street Journal has um, search blogosphere feature, which they're using Technorati, um, and they're going to be using Technorati to go ahead and you can go type in a, a term into the search box hit the button and you'll see what Technorati brings back for that term. So that's kind of um, cool. It seems like it's a new feature, but the one thing I don't know is whether the Washington, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal is using Technorati tools on both their free and paid articles, or just on their free articles, or just on their paid articles. I think they're using it on both, or maybe it just depends on um, subject matter. Maybe they're just using it uh, on their uh, internet and online type of, types of articles. So um, it'll be, I think it'll be a neat feature, and um, it's nice to see the Wall Street Journal going ahead and uh, monitoring what the blogosphere has to say. Talking about the Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal had an interesting article in their July 20th um, edition, um, and the article title was Websites Improve Service for Blind. And what this article was, it was an overview of uh, what websites are doing to accommodate the blind, also what um, the blind can do to read websites, and finally, um, a quick overview on some, some things that are happening legally um, having to do with the blind and um, certain websites. First, the overview of what existing sites are doing for the blind. Um, Wall Street Journal article talks about Google Ac Accessible Search, which was released last, last week. The Google Accessible Search, what it does is that it allows, um, uh, it allows for a search of websites, and the search, the results aren't going to necessarily give back the most information-rich websites, but the, but the simplest websites, the, the simpler the site, the easier that would be for a blind person using, you know, magnification or a screen reader or a braille reader to go ahead and read. Um, what's also kind of cool um, about this um, Google Accessible Search is that you know, I would think there would be some interesting SEO um, uses for this ex accessible search because 
I'm wondering if Google will, you know, in their algorithm anyway, um, will, will give more precedence to simpler pages. I mean, for example, everybody knows that a text page um, on Google will, or that's in Google will rank higher than, you know, a page that has a lot of flash and, you know, a lot of bells and whistles. So, um, I wonder, I'm beginning to wonder if a, you know, SEO, um, you know, specialist could go ahead and use that Google accessible search, um, to, to, to go ahead and see how, um, machines, you know, read their site. Aside from a Google accessible search, um, this Wall Street Journal art article also mentioned um, that AOL Webmail is going to um, be more screen reader friendly. Also, um, that Yahoo has uh, ha has you know redone their 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 uh, front page like I've blogged about before. And what Yahoo has done, um, which is interesting, is that they have made it easier to read with screen readers by using section headings on their uh, on their front page, which. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, it looks nice visually, but um, this section, that section header idea um, seems like it's a good, you know, point for um, website designers. So maybe the next time you're designing a, a portal page, you might want to put in section headers. Um, also, um, this article mentions that Microsoft has um, a program called UE Automation, and it's for developers. And what it allows developers to do is to translate um, what um, it allows them to to translate uh, web applications into screen readable um, uh, format. So that, that's also kind of cool too. Um, the, the, this Wall Street Journal article also mentions equipment, uh, what, what um, blind people can use to go ahead and read the web and everything from just plain you know, screen magnification um, to screen readers to refreshable braille displays, which is um, kind of thing I never really thought of that. Um, also noted in this article, and this is something that's very, very important for you web designers, which I say to, you know, everybody, um, the, uh, the people who are using these screen readers are having a problem with bad image descriptions. Like, there was an example in the, in the article that says, you know, nav bar one isn't really going to help me, you know, navigate around the web page. It should be um, described properly. And also, there's a great quote from this article from, a, you know, a, a blind woman, and she said, Online shopping sites are terribly inaccessible. It oft, um, I often have no idea what the product look like, looks like. So that's something to think about when you're doing alt tags, um, especially for your online shopping sites. You know, instead of saying, you know, product one or, you know, um, or what have you, why not make an alt tag that is describable, you know, that describes the product? So that's something something to think about if you're designing a, especially a B2C um, type of uh, online shopping site. In addition, this article um, went over uh, what the laws are for blind accessibility, and um, surprisingly enough, there's no federal law requiring all websites to be accessible to the blind or to those with other physical disabilities. There's no federal law. There is Section 508, and if you you know if you're the type of person who reads about um, reads um, Zeldman's um, A List Apart, or you read Zeldman.com, um, you'd already know about this. But if, um, Section 508 only applies to technology procured by federal agencies. It doesn't apply to the general public. And Section 508 is about to go under review for um, new technologies like voice IP, webcast, etc. So um, we expect 508 to change, but 508 only applies to that narrow band, technology procured by the federal government.
or yeah, by a federal agency. Finally, because we know that businesses really only act if there's a threat of lawsuits, uh, there's two uh, blurs about um, lawsuits um, concerning um, blind accessibility on the web. And the first one is the Southwest um, lawsuit. Southwest Airlines was sued because their website was not accessible. And um, they were sued under the American with Disabilities Act. And actually, the lawsuit got thrown out, not for the merits of the lawsuit, but for the fact that the um, American with Disabilities Act does not have or does not list uh, websites as one of the 12 public accommodations categories. So that's why it got thrown out, because it was not listed, um, websites were not listed in the act. Um, also, the, the, the other um, lawsuit that, that this article mentioned was the um, National Federation of the Blind versus Target, which is something I've blogged about. Uh, Target, you know, had a website that was very, that was very not um, uh, blind friendly. And they are, Target is also getting sued under the Americans with Disabilities Act and under two California laws. So a hearing is scheduled for that lawsuit. It hasn't come about yet, so we don't know where that is going to lie. So I thought that Wall Street Journal article was pretty uh, interesting, and, and it brought up a great, some great points for, for web designers. First of all, um, what will ex um, the Google accessible search, what other, web, what, what, um, what other websites are doing you know, to, for accessibility, um, you know, what types of equipment the blind use. Also, the alt tags, alt tags, you know, how important they are. And last but not least, you know, the fact that there's no federal laws um, for accessibility, but, you know, it's something that we should start um, looking, you know, we should, something we should do automatically to make, you know, our websites accessible to as many people as we can. So there you go. Now, I don't have some tech news as, um, as so much as a observation. Um, early, was it yesterday? I, yeah, it was yesterday. I, I commented on Robert Scoble's blog about, um, he, he had an entry about um, how Google um, had RSS feeds. And my response to that was, what did I write? I wrote, okay, here's, here's what I wrote. It says, um, with Google Base adding RSS feeds, I'm surprised that RSS isn't being more, being used more in online retailing. The only substantial use of RSS so far has been for feed files for online shopping sites. Yet eBay allows one to create feeds for searches, and Amazon has feeds for their categories, but really, how are they being used? And some of the, the responses in the thread, there's about six of the, um, five other responses, and, well, um, some, and one commenter mentioned iTunes Music Store has feeds, which is good. Um, and the third comment was from this guy named Timothy Graff, and he wrote the following, which is not very helpful. He wrote, "These are quite there, there are quite a bit of RSS feeds being generated by those in the know in the SEO and SEM field. We use them all the time to drive traffic and quali qualified leads to customers. Wonderful. <laughs> so, great. I'm glad he wrote that, but he gave no examples of that. So, um, thanks for the um, help there. Um, and th there's another, after his um, comment, there was another um, uh, comment about a website called MyKin and how they're using um, RSS feeds. And last but not least, um, um, someone named David wrote about how um, Google Base is not exporting the same, doesn't provide um, good data in their RSS feeds, which is an interesting comment. So um, with my comment, would, 
um, to Scoble's uh, post, I wasn't really, I wasn't trolling, but I was, I'm just trying to nail down the idea that, or I'm just trying to get around the idea that, that I haven't seen the killer RSS app yet, or application of RSS. Yes, I know, I, and I love RSS. I think RSS is a great idea, um, but I'm not, I haven't really seen it as a groundswell of RSS applications. There were, uh, one of the other comments in Scoble's uh, 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 thread was somebody, somebody wrote, um, yeah, um, so, oh, somebody wrote that RSS will eventually end up like the personalized advertising in Minority Report. Which is, I think that's probably the killer app that I'm looking for, but um, right now we're not, it seems like traditional marketing does not go for personalized advertising, or we're still not at that point yet. Um, and um, I'm just trying to find, I'm just trying to find examples of great success of RSS feeds, aside from blogging, which I see, I mean, I see my RSS feeds, you know, getting read by, I can say hundreds of people now, which is great. But um, for online retailing, uh, you know, I haven't really seen all that many great examples. I mean, I see examples thrown out, but I haven't seen great numbers, you know, great quantitative numbers. So, so that's that's really where I was going with that RS, the whole RSS rip. If anybody finds, if anybody does see any great killer example of RSS being used for advertising and it's blowing, you know, people away, please let me know. Please, please, most definitely let me know. And here's part of the podcast where we go ahead and talk about music. The first thing I want to talk about is this new artist that I found on XM43. His name is uh, Cut Chemist, or his art his stage name. Um, really, uh, it's a DJ turntablist. Um, his name is uh, Lucas McFadden. And the single that's out on XM43 that I keep on hearing is called Storm. And it has a couple you know, guest uh, artists on there. And it's pretty, it's pretty catchy. So... Uh, Cut, uh, cut Chemist, and um, I'm definitely going to go ahead and uh, purchase uh, his album off of the uh, iTunes Music Store um, with pretty soon. So um, that single, um, the Storm single, is, is pretty gosh darn good. Next, um, this wouldn't be a Clever Hack podcast without talking about the Kitty or the Postal Service, so I'm going to talk about both. Uh, first and foremost, the Postal Service is apparently still working on their uh, second album, uh, it's apparently going slow because Death Cab is still touring, and uh, yeah, I have to say that uh, last weekend I went, uh, I was down on South Street after the Philly Blogger meetup, and I went into Repo Records, which is an indie store um, there, and uh, I, I spied uh, the Postal Service's uh, Give Up LP there, and it was sealed, and uh, I uh, was definitely drooling over it. Not that I have a, a record player or anything like that, but I just wanted that LP. I just, it was one of those... Uh, those reactions there. So, uh, yes, I was I was looking about. Uh, I was definitely uh, uh, drooling over that LP. Also, uh, with Death Cab for Cutie, uh, Death Cab for Cutie added at least one new uh, tour date, and it's actually in Pennsylvania. Aren't I lucky? The only unfortunate thing is that it's in University Park, Pennsylvania, which is um, where the, the home of uh, Penn State. And uh, I've never been there. I went to a better school. So, uh, so yes. Their new um, concert date is August 2nd, it's the day after my birthday, and uh, it's on a school night, that would be on a Wednesday night, so um, apparently University Park is three hours away from Westchester, so uh, I'd love to go, I really, really, really would love to go, that, but that would be an all-night thing, so 
So we'll go ahead and see. Ah, so, so yes, that's the excitement that's happening in the Clever Hack music world. And on that note, I think it's time to end the Clever Hack podcast. Hope you guys had a great time listening to it. And uh, you can go ahead and send um, storm-related uh, equipment, such as uh, flashlights and batteries, to blog at cleverhack.com, blog at cleverhack.com, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, and have a great week. Bye.